do open the word of the Lord, let us all unite our hearts in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, we come before your throne of grace this day again, and we thank you for your many blessings that you've showered upon us. We thank you for the um, time of quiet and the, the ability to worship freely, unmolested from persecution and distraction. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit will be our teacher this morning and this afternoon and that you'd open the hearts of each and every one here for each and every one of us have different needs. Father, we pray that this day we glorify your name through Christ your Son, in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9. Gospel according to Mark, chapter 9. I'd like to start reading with the Lord's help from... Verse 33, verse 33. And he came to Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, What was it that ye disputed among yourselves by the way? But they held their peace, for by the way they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and servant of all. And he took a child, and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me receiveth not me, but him that sent me. And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followeth not us. But Jesus said, Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in My name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believeth in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life maimed, and having two hands, than having two hands, to go into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life, halt into life, than to have two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not consumed. And if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, 
It is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire, where their worm dieth not and the fire is not quenched. For everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt have lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace one with another. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us kneel down and worship. O thou eternal one, Lord God of glory, incomprehensible in thy greatness, in thy power, thy might and wisdom, O Lord, that no mortal eye can approach or behold in his glory, because we are mortals, and yet that thou shouldest regard even the most insignificant to us detail, yet important enough to be aware of it, to have created it, O Lord. And how much more man that has been created in thy image, O Lord, hard to comprehend how such a just and holy God can be so merciful in Christ Jesus. O Lord, do thou look in favor upon us and give unto us, O Lord, thy blessing, for thou art able to bless abundantly those that humble themselves, those that seek thy favor, O Lord, those that acknowledge that they have no strength, that they need thy help, that they need thy uplifting, thy comfort, dear Father, that we are not self-sufficient in ourselves, O Lord. O help us to recognize, and may thy word fully uncover anything that displeases thee and that we may gladly let it go. We thank thee for the day of grace that is still at hand, that thy word can be proclaimed freely from this pulpit. We thank thee that we can gather together and even instruct our children in it, O Lord. But we see the signs of times. We see what is going on in this world, O Lord, and how it is possible that soon there will be an open persecution when we will consider to be intolerant when their father upholding the truth and speaking the truth will become a crime in the eyes of men. Oh, Father, we know that there have been times like this before, and thy word tells us in the last times it will be peerless times. Oh, Lord, yet for the sake of thy elect, oh, Lord, thou wilt shorten those days. Make us realize these things, that we may walk soberly, uprightly, in truth, leaving the things that are not fit for thy kingdom, dear Father and acknowledging thee and obeying, obeying thee only, O Lord, the Eternal One. Do thou bless thy holy word unto us, anoint the brother to speak thy word in simplicity and truth, and touch the hearts that they may receive thy word, and it may bring forth fruit to thy honor and glory. We thank thee for the privilege of being able to gather in this place in quietness, in comfort, yea, even on padded benches, dear Father. 
Yet you realize there are those that could not gather with us, those that are upon sick beds, those that are beset with, with ailments, dear Father, that man cannot do much about, O Lord, because healing really comes from thee. And we pray for them, O Lord, that thou be with them, uphold them, strengthen them to bear the things they need to bear, and heal where thy good and holy purpose for them is to do so, O Lord. For even in this, we don't know. And it's for us to trust and obey and commit all things unto thee, dear Father. Abide thou with us, dear Father. Bless the children that are gathered with us, dear Father. Bless their little hearts, because they're going to grow up in a world, O Lord, that's going to be terrible, dear Father. Grant a much grace, O Lord, that they early may turn to thee, dear Father, and be spared of the things that should come. We thank thee for thy mercies in Christ Jesus. We thank thee for thy word of truth. And pray, O Lord, bless us now as we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The gift of salvation is free. It's a gift. But the cost of discipleship is huge. And in some countries today, as Brother Eckhart mentioned about perhaps pending persecution here, in some countries today, that cost of discipleship means death. Not some, many countries. Many countries. Jesus said, and perhaps a parallel passage to what we have read today, contained in the book of Matthew, chapter 16 and 17, the transfiguration there. The transfiguration, I believe, was just before this. Um, Jesus said, If any man will follow me. He needs to deny himself, take up his cross. If any man will want to save his life, he needs to lose it. He says, what will a man give in exchange for his life? We see the... Um, the writer of this gospel believed to be John Mark. He was a, a disciple of Barnabas and, and Paul the Apostle. But also, later on, it is believed that he became a disciple of Peter. And it is believed that the Apostle Peter probably dictated this to John Mark, and John Mark penned it down, and the gospel was ascribed to him. Nevertheless, whoever wrote it, we believe it's inspired by the word of God. It is consistent with the other gospels. But it's a very concise gospel. It's uh, 16 chapters, if I'm not mistaken. Everything is very fast-moving, depicting the major events in the life of Christ and his disciples. We find ourselves in this gospel. Um, Jesus... Coming to Capernaum, Capernaum 
was a place close to Bethsaida where the apostles Peter and, and Philip and John and James lived. And it was a very well-known uh, city with a synagogue. He comes to them and perhaps the disciples forgot about what happened down the road, but nothing slipped through the ears of Jesus Christ. Even though he may not have looked as if he was paying attention to what they were talking about, but he was listening because he cared for his disciples. He cared for their um, growth, for their furtherance in the kingdom of God. So he says to them, probably in a very gentle way, what was it that you disputed amongst yourselves, by the way? But they held their peace. And I could imagine out of guilt and shame, they sort of cowered and didn't want to say anything, very sheepish. For they, by the way, disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. And he sat down and called unto them, and called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all, and the servant of all. And he took a small child in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them, Whosoever shall receive one of such children in my name, receiveth me, and whosoever shall receive me, receiveth not me, but him that sent me. Now, if this happened to be the same incident as recorded in Matthew chapter 18, because it happened also right after the transfiguration, where Jesus took and... uh, took a child and said unto them, whoever doesn't become like a little child and become converted cannot enter the kingdom of God. And perhaps from the other angle, from this other vantage point of the apostle Peter, he added these words as well. So we see that there are four gospels, four witnesses seeing uh, the same events from four different angles to give a complete picture. Let me just turn to that chapter. It was following, as a matter of fact, the first verse of chapter 18. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? This is now the disciples asking Jesus. Maybe after Jesus had asked, What were you describing? What were you discussing on the way? So after that, maybe they said, Well, then who is the greatest? And then Jesus took a child And he said, this is the picture of what it is to be a child of the kingdom. Except you become like this child, be converted, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And he said, whoever offends one such one that believes on me, it were better for him to get a millstone around his neck and be cast into the sea. That's how much God cares for those that believe in him. Being a disciple of Jesus Christ is serious business. It is not a matter of, uh, I'll try him one day and if it suits me, I'll stay. If not, I'll leave. There's a cost to discipleship. And that cost doesn't earn our salvation. 
The blood of Christ pays for our forgiveness, pays for our committed sin. But the cost of discipleship is really when we go through that baptism of fire, if you will. It's a demonstration of how the Holy Spirit has worked in our lives. And the, the power of God in our lives to imitate Jesus Christ, to do his works. Jesus said, when I go, the works that I do, you shall do and greater. And so though salvation is free, there's a cost. Jesus said, if you go back to um, the, the gospel of, of Matthew, when there was this dispute and the mother approached Jesus and asked him, can my sons, John and James, sit on your left and right hand side in the kingdom of God? Jesus said, are, you, are they able to drink of the cup that I drink of? Are they able to be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And then he said, they will. They will. They will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. They will drink the cup that I drink. It was a bitter cup. It was a, a dreadful cup. But he said, but to give to you, to sit on my left and right hand, I cannot do. Only my Father in heaven is going to determine that. But you need to do what you're called to do. You know, perhaps we spend a lot of time talking about who's going to be saved, who's not going to be saved. The disciples did that too. The disciples said to Jesus, are there few that be saved? Jesus never answered that question. Not to, their, not to that question. He said before, there be few that may go into that narrow gate. But he says, strive you. You strive to enter into that narrow gate. Don't worry about who's going to be saved or not. Make sure you're there. Leave the rest to God. Don't worry about whether you're going to be on the left-hand side and right-hand side of Christ or what kind of rewards you're going to be getting. God's going to deal with you justly. But make sure, make sure that you're doing the right thing, that you're obeying me. John, when, when, um, Peter, when, when Jesus was speaking to Peter before he was to ascend in the, at the Lake of Galilee, and he was saying, you know, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And uh, Peter said, you know I love you. You know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs, feed my sheep. He says, when you were young, you went where you wanted to go, you did what you wanted to do, but when you get old, people are going to bind you and they're going to take you where you, didn't, where you don't want to go and you're going to stretch forth your arms signifying the way that Peter should die. That was the cost of discipleship. And Peter says, well, what about this man? What about John? Jesus says, what's it to you if this man will not see death 
till the kingdom of God come. Or will not die until the kingdom of God come. If I got the, 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 the quote correct. But you, you follow me. You follow me. We're so busy in, under, in, in other people's business, lives and so forth. But he says, make sure that your house is in order. Make sure that you're on the right road. When we spend time in looking at what other people are doing, we're really judging. Are we not? And perhaps by looking at what other people are doing, well, I'm better than that person. I must be standing right in the sight of God. The Bible says you examine yourself. Have you really, can you really say that you have given yourself everything to Christ? And if you haven't done that, then don't look in other people's business. We are our brother's keepers, yes. But make sure that our house is in order before we point to others. Before we think, what's that person going to do? Ask God, what am I to do? Jesus said that the first, he that desires to be first, shall be last. If you have this in your mind, that all you care about is preeminence, you know, what reward am I going to get? Be careful. Peter asked the same question to Jesus in chapter 19 of Matthew. When Jesus said, it's easier for a rich man, a camel to enter through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. This is the commentary after the young, rich, young ruler uh, was sad when Jesus told him to sell everything that he has and give to the poor and then come follow me. The cost of discipleship. And he walked away sad. And Jesus was sad that he reacted that way. But he said, it's, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And then the disciples were amazed. Who can be saved? Jesus said, with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. Then Peter said, behold, we have forsaken everything. And followed thee. What shall we have then? Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye also shall sit upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for the, my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit eternal life. Another scripture says, with persecutions. You want the reward? You're going to get it with persecution. You're going to go through a lot of trials. You're going to go through a baptism of fire. That's the cost of discipleship. Are we prepared? Are we willing? Are we able to make that commitment 
Are we willing to want the prize without the cross or with the cross? Are we willing to take up the cross and follow him? Because the cross was an implement of torture and death. And Jesus said, if you don't take up the cross and follow me, you're not worthy of me. As I was studying this, this chapter, this one verse came to my mind, and, and, and it's, it's not a very clear verse. But that's what I sort of focused on, and I think it, it sort of gave the whole um, meaning to this portion of Scripture that we've read. He, he's, he ends up by saying, for everyone shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltness, wherewith will ye season it? Have salt in yourselves, and have peace with one another. And they, what does that mean? I can't say... I got it exactly, but I believe what the Lord is saying here. He's saying that the cost of discipleship involves a lot of suffering, a lot of pain. It involves sacrifice. John the Baptist said, you know, I, I baptize you now with water, but there comes one after me whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit, with the Holy Ghost, and with fire. Now, there's been some different explanations for that. Some say, well, that was when Pentecost came and the, the, the Holy Spirit, it appears, came and landed upon the heads of the disciples as cloven tongues in the form of flame and cloven tongues, and that was the baptism of fire. But it seems to me from what Jesus said when he responded to the question of the mother of James and John, he says, are ye able to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? Baptism means immersed. Are you willing to be immersed in the experience and the suffering that I am going to immerse myself in? This is not coming to the river's edge and putting your, your finger in and saying, is it cold or hot? This is jumping in, fully committed. No matter what happens, I'm willing to go all the way. What is the cost of discipleship? We're going to get back to that verse in a minute. But what the, the, the prelude to all of this was... Verse 42, it says, And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck, and he were cast into the sea. And if thy hand offend you, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed and having two hands to go into hellfire, which, which is never quenched, where the worm doesn't die. That word hell there is the actual word for Gehenna in the Greek. 
it's sort of unfortunate that the word hell is in the Bible, but it's the underlying word, the Greek word is different, and, and some people may misunderstand that. The word, the word hell, when it appears in the New Testament, uh, has two different meanings, at least. Hell is the word Hades translated to hell, and it's the abode of the dead, the grave. But hell is also a translation for Gehenna. Ge, the valley of Hinnom. And the valley of Hinnom was the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem. It is believed that's where Manasseh and company sacrificed children in the fire. It is also the place where, where they took the carcasses out and burnt them in a smoldering rubbish heap, garbage heap. And it kept on going on. It was a continual fire where they, all their refuse, dead bodies of animals, and who knows if it's criminals as well that were, were crucified, they threw there and it was constantly burning. And the putrefying and rotting flesh was infested with worms. That's a picture. That's the picture. The picture that Jesus Christ was giving here, the, the, the meek, mild, humble Son of God, was there's going to come a day where the judgment of God will start and it will begin at the house of God, he says. And all those that, that offend, he says, in the book of Revelation, if I'm not mistaken, all those that offend will be cast into this lake of fire, this Gehenna fire. We can't mince our words. There's going to be a judgment for sin. There's going to be a judgment for the rejection of the Son of God. The eternal Son of God who came to this earth, who was crucified, who was beaten and walloped and, and, and spat upon. He came for your sin and mine. The eternal God died on the cross for your sin and mine. And if you reject that, you're going to end in a place that is eternal damnation, eternal suffering and pain. That is not maybe preached too much today. Maybe what is preached, come to Jesus and you'll have a better life. Or come to Jesus and all your problems will be solved. Or come to Jesus and you'll become rich. But Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, in the other chapter I believe in the other passage, if your good hand offends you, cut it off. Get rid of it. If it's causing you to stumble, if it's causing you to sin, if it's causing you to violate God's holy law, cut it off. Drastic measures need to be taken. It's better for you to go into eternal life without one arm than to have two arms and be cast into the lake of fire. He said, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. These are, these are sharp words by our meek saviour. By a loving saviour, the one that loved the world so much that he gave his own life for the world. These are harsh words. The cost of discipleship is huge. 
No room for easy believism. The image of the worm dying may have been related to the worms in the garbage heap, but what he's really trying to say is this will never end. As long as heaven is eternal, so will hell be eternal, Matthew 25 says. Those that are on the left-hand side will be cast into the lake of fire, which is into hell, which was reserved for the devil and his angels, and those that are on his right-hand side will go into eternal glory. As long as heaven lasts, so will hell. And then he says, for everyone for everyone shall be salted with fire. And every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. I looked up what he was trying to say. I looked in the Old Testament. This morning I found 43 searches, 43 searches where the word salt was used. About three of them in the Old Testament, one in Leviticus 2, one in Numbers 8, and one in Ezekiel 43 talked about the salt that was to not be left out of the sacrifice. And they called it the salt of the covenant. The salt of the covenant. Because there's, there's meaning to that. The sacrifice had to be seasoned with salt. Why salt? He talks something about here, about salt having a savor, a flavor. But it was also used for preservation, for keeping And I believe what Jesus may be alluding to here is that every one of us will be salted with this salt. But there is the possibility that we could lose our saltiness. And those that endure, that have considered the the cost of discipleship, those that are willing to be salted those that are willing to be laid as a living sacrifice on the altar of God will come through refined, will come through pure, will be preserved through persecution, through trial, through temptation. You will be preserved. Romans chapter 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Why would it be a reasonable service? Like he's, as if he's saying, he's not asking too much of you. Perhaps it means more like, which is your appropriate service? That's what he's really asking of you. In light of what Christ has done for you, in light that he left his courts of glory and and experienced the shame and spitting and mocking and crucifixion, 
and suffering for what you have to endure for Christ is more than appropriate. You can also translate more than reasonable. What shall I give in return? We sang that as a choir song. What shall I give to the king? What can I give to the king? Your heart. You know, we may feel quite smug sometimes. We've, we've heard it quite often, you know, too much to our, to our denomination, there has much been light shed. Much light has been given. And we've been blessed. And that's true. But we may get so smug in that sometimes. We may get so smug and say, we, and as some have said in the past, we are the only true faith. We practice justice and, and, and whatever. But I'm wondering... How would we fare today? When you, look at, when you look at what's going on across the world, if we would have persecution, that would begin right today, here and now. When you see villages being raided by extremists, radicals, opening on fire in a church service, killing children, women, and asking them, telling them, you better deny Christ or we're going to kill you all. And 11-year-olds and 12-year-olds refusing. 12-year-olds refusing to deny Jesus Christ. And sometimes when I see... And these aren't made-up stories. These aren't rehearsed. These aren't staged. They're taken with hidden cameras. And when I see what's going on there, and I hear sometimes the complaints in our own churches, the petty disagreements, the petty uh, arguments, the fact that I cannot forgive my brother or sister, it's shameful. Jesus said, you're you're bickering about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Are you willing to give your life for me? Are you willing to lay it all down? Are you willing to be salted? Are you willing to go through that fire and give your whole body as a whole burnt offering to God? That was the picture in the Old Testament. Only three quotes of that, but it meant so much. It was a, the, the salt of the covenant that I'm presenting this sacrifice, O oh God, to you. And I want to make it pure and, 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 and of a good savor in your, in your eyes and in your nostrils. Jesus said, salt is good, but if you've lost your savour, if you've lost your aroma to this world, it's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. You may be so intent on preserving your own individual holiness to the point that you exclude yourself from everybody else. You become very selfish, you become very uh, uh, self-centred, 
uh, introverted and you just care about not sinning. I'm not going to do anything so I don't sin. And when you do that, you forget why, why you were called. You weren't called to bury your talent. You weren't called to, to, to preserve that one talent so you don't lose it. You were called to work with that talent. And in that context, Jesus says, bind him hand and foot. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth because you did not offer your life and commit your life unto him as unto a faithful creator and work the works that he has ordained you to do. But you've become fearful. You've trusted in yourself. And the fearful and the unbelieving shall be cast into the lake of fire. In other words, you didn't trust God. You trusted yourself. I shouldn't say you. I've got to talk about, about myself. This became a very harsh reality to me. When I, when I see that this, the kingdom of God is not the little corner where I am here and now. It, it's not contained to my little church here. The kingdom of God is universal. And the Lord knows those that are his. Paul writes to Timothy. That's why he said... When they came to him, he said, Lord, we found someone casting out devils in your name, but he wasn't with us. He just said, leave him alone. There's no man that can, that can do these miracles and speak lightly of me. Do you pray? Do we pray like Paul instructed us in Timothy? Do we pray for kings? Do we pray for, for all men or everywhere lifting up holy hands? Do we do that? Or do we just pray for me, myself, and I? And that's it. That's the, that's the length of our prayer. We become very selfish in our praying. Are we concerned about the kingdom of God? When I see these things, I say, how can I help, Lord? I can pray. I can donate my money to help them get Bibles, to help them get relief, to help the gospel to be promoted, to give them food, clothing. I mean, that's what Matthew 25 is all about, isn't it? I was hungry. I was naked. I was sick. I was in prison. We say, well, we don't have any of our brothers and sisters in prison anymore. There's nothing I could do to help. What about your dear brothers in Christ? All over the world, though we don't know them by name, but we know that they're suffering. They've lost parents, they've lost siblings, that are continuing coming back to the pulpit, they'll be dragged back into prison because of what they're doing. God is far bigger. God is far greater than what sometimes we in our minds 
picture. May the Lord really impress on our hearts the mission, not only that Christ came to do for us on our behalf, but that Christ wants us to do now that he's gone. Greater works shall you do because I'm gone. May the Lord bless his word. Will the brother find him, please? Is that 224? 324? The first three verses and the sixth verse of 324. come together and we could learn about about thy word we pray lord that we were 
instructed about how that the disciples were asking who is the greatest. And this world is also asking who is the greatest also. But the world has a different answer than what Jesus has. For we know that if we are small, if we serve others, if we are willing to be like salt, to, be, to have a distinctive flavor, a distinctive look, that only if it's pure that it will taste good. And so, Lord, we, we pray that we would have this pure salt that's, that's in us that, that could only come from thee, Lord. We pray that, that just like the eye, the, the camel going through the eye of the needle, that we must remove everything that's, that is not from thee, Lord. Remove it, get down on our knees, and, and pray, Lord, that, that thou will help us through these days. For we know that there are many countries that, that do persecute thee, Lord, and we have it so good here. We pray, Lord, that we may not sit back and truly take it easy, but we may be asking thee what we, we could do for thee, Lord. Be truly a servant for all, that we may truly visit the sick, help those that are hungry, and the many, and the many things that need to be done, that there are so many people that need help, Lord. We, we pray that we may not take it easy, but, but truly be always on fire for thee, Lord. We also pray, Lord, that thou will also bless this church and, and that we may not have these little squabbles, but that we may truly join in unity and love and that through it we may truly see, uh, others may see the, the love that is in us and that they too may want to join thee, Lord. We thank, we're thankful for all that thou hast done. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Father, concluding him, please.
our forefathers in Europe, Switzerland, and those that were associated with us, the Anabaptists, the Mennonites, were much persecuted for their faith. I was just talking with a brother who said he visited just recently in Switzerland. He went to the place where the big debates were going on between Zwingli and Felix Menz. And he went to visit the lake where he was drowned. Just recently I came to know that there were people in Switzerland that realised the great error that they had made in persecuting the Anabaptists. The great error. And they made a formal apology and asked for forgiveness from the American Amish and from the Canadian Amish and Mennonites and from the Mennonites and Amish in, in well, Mennonites in Europe. They had a big meeting where they officially apologized and asked for forgiveness because they wrongfully persecuted these people because they believed in the true gospel of Christ in baptizing those that had known what they were doing, not children. It was a very moving moment. They actually had these Swiss believers in front of everybody take bowls of water and they began to wash the feet of the Mennonites as a symbolic gesture of what they had done they wanted to make right. It was a great cost and only maybe 400, 500 years later there were some that realised the error of their way. And these group of believers were vindicated. When we consider following Jesus Christ, are we considering the cost? Are we really willing to lay down our lives, not just for Christ, not for Christ only, should I say, but that we're willing to lay down our lives one for the other? That's how much real Jesus Christ is to us. That's how much my brethren mean to me. May the Lord bless the word. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes our service.